The Old Testament lesson for today is from Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, through chapter 3, verse 14. This can be found on page 54 of your Pew Bible. The Israelites had been suffering under Egyptian oppression for centuries when God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Their cries for deliverance had been heard by God, who told Moses of his plan to deliver his people from slavery. A reading from Exodus, beginning in chapter 2 with the 23rd verse. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw, he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen this affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring and bring them up out of that hand land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Kenites, the Hittites, the Amortites, the Persianites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to the Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? I shall say to them, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Picture a slum, a shanty town, a tin roof, huts all cobbled together, filled with impoverished people. I don't want you to picture just any slum or shanty town, but one in particular. It's right in the middle of Guatemala City. The name of the neighborhood is La Limonada. Some of you have been there because we as a church have a mission partner right in that slum, in that shantytown, who constructs and runs Christian schools for the children so that they can grow up and know the gospel and have a way out of their situation. I remember my first time in La Limonada. There's a lot to take in. The poverty is astonishing. There are abuses that take place on a daily basis, partly because the police of Guatemala City 
have fled the neighborhood. They won't even go in there. It's unsafe for them. So the whole place is run by gangs. There are injustices taking place as a result of that. I can picture the beautiful, smiling faces of the children in these Christian schools that I just mentioned. But I'm also remembering my first visit there, remembering something that one of the residents of the Limonada showed to me. We were standing there in one of the streets, and he directed my attention above the tin roofs of the huts all around us to a hillside outside of the neighborhood where there was a tall, modern-looking building overlooking the whole scene. And he told me that that building is the Guatemalan Department of Justice. And he said, don't you think it's a bit ironic that there's the Department of Justice and all those people going about their daily work in those offices can look out their windows and see all of this injustice and not do anything about it. And I've been thinking about that moment. I've been thinking about that observation a lot lately because I think for some of us, we think of God that way. Can't he see all of the injustices happening in this world? When is he going to come down and do something about it? We might even think to ourselves, why are there unanswered prayers? Well, today's scripture reveals to us just how aware God is of the afflictions and cries of his people and what he promises to do about it. Does God answer those seemingly unanswered prayers? We pick up the story. We're going through a three-year chronological study of the Bible. We pick up this Old Testament narrative in Exodus chapter 2 where we have Moses serving his father-in-law by tending sheep out in the wilderness. Let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with the 23rd verse. During those many days the king of Egypt died, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Look at this verse here next. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What exactly did God see? We get the answer specifically in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. God sees the affliction of his people. God hears our cries. I want you to think back to a time when you felt afflicted, when you felt an injustice was happening to you. Maybe a time in your life when you cried, when you cried out to God. And there seemed to be nobody who came to your rescue, nobody who heard your cry. You think of a time like that. 
Well, according to this verse here in Scripture, God is not unaware of those situations. Though you may have felt alone in them, God saw and God knew. God saw and God knew your affliction. God heard your cry. So why didn't he do something about it in the moment? We're going to get to that. In the very next verse, God reveals what God does, how God acts. He doesn't just know and see. He doesn't just hear the cries of his people. He steps in. He promises to act. How? Verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. There are three actions that are listed in this brief verse. Three actions of God. When he hears the cries of his people, when he sees the affliction of his people, in the very next verse, God gives us three things that he's going to do about it. I will come down, he says. I have come down. That's the first thing we see him acting in. He comes down. Now, in the case of the Old Testament, God comes down in various in mysterious ways. In this story, God comes down and he manifests himself. He appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush, a bush that's out in the wilderness that has flames coming out of it, but the bush itself is not being consumed. And the voice of God is speaking through the burning bush to give Moses this instruction, this promise, and this instruction. A burning bush, it's what the theologians call a theophany, an appearance of God, throughout the Old Testament, a theophany. God comes down. Think about this with me. God didn't have to respond in this way. He could have been like the seemingly aloof and unaware people in the Department of Justice outside the city slum and not come down to do something about it. But God says, I have come down. I've come down. And in this case, in this theophany, it's in the mysterious presence of a burning bush with God's voice coming out of it. I've come down. God promises to come down to where we are in the situation of our afflictions after hearing our cries. The second action that God promises to do here in verse 8 after coming down says, I have come down to deliver them out. Deliver them out. He comes down and he delivers out. He comes down and he delivers out. In this case, the description of how he would deliver them out comes in verse 10. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We're going to see over the next several Sundays as we continue in this Exodus narrative that God would do just that. He would send his servant Moses to be the the agent, the instrument of his deliverance as he would go and speak to Pharaoh and eventually lead the people of God out of their slavery, out into the wilderness where they would have to wait for the fullness of that plan. He comes down, he delivers us out of the situations that bring affliction, the situations that make us cry, the situations of injustice and wrongdoing. He comes down and he delivers out. There's a third thing that he promises to do here in verse 8. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to bring them up and out. 
See these three actions of God? He comes down, he delivers out, and he brings up. And he provides for us when he brings us up. Milk and honey are symbols of his provision. He doesn't just leave us in our affliction. He delivers us out of it, and then he sets us in a new place where he provides for us. He brings us up into a new life that is sustained and protected by him. This really, this action of God to come down, to deliver out, to bring up, this is really the story of the Bible. This is the story of Scripture, that God does this for his people over and over and over again. I was reminded of it this past week on Wednesday morning when Gina led the prayer call, the Wednesday morning prayer call in Psalm 40. Psalm 40 also describes this very same thing. If you're, by the way, if you're unaware of this Wednesday morning prayer call, Gina leads this beautiful thing at 6.30 a.m., on Wednesday mornings, you can just call, it's a call-in number, it's not Zoom, it's just audio, and Gina leads us through usually a psalm or something from Isaiah, and we just pray for an hour. I'm on it for the first half hour before I go off to a 7 a.m. appointment, but Gina leads whoever calls in just to pray through a particular psalm, and this past Wednesday, it was Psalm 40. In the first couple verses of Psalm 40, I thought were an exact illustration of this very same story that's happening here in Exodus. God comes down, he delivers out, he brings up. Listen to the words of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Notice that first line, I waited patiently for the Lord. This answers that tension we felt a few minutes ago when we all imagined a point in our lives and we felt afflicted and we cried out and God didn't answer our prayers. You know, for Moses, when he receives this promise through the burning bush, he had already been waiting for 40 years with his father-in-law Jethro out in the wilderness. And he would wait 40 more to see the fullness of this promise getting brought to completion. When God makes his promise to come down, to deliver out, to bring up, sometimes we got to wait for it. And here we are in the season of Advent, where we remember that we are waiting. We celebrate the first Advent of Jesus Christ, and we wait for the second Advent. Those of you women who were here yesterday and heard those testimonies of the speakers heard about waiting and waiting on God. It's hard to do. I waited patiently for the Lord. If I wrote Psalm 40, it probably would have said I waited impatiently for the Lord. (laughs) I don't know why I always think of this, but when I think about waiting on God to come and deliver me out of certain situations and my impatience with it, I don't know why I think about this, but I think about the seat heater on my car. The seat, you, know, you push a button on your, your car dashboard and it warms up the seat, obviously. I think about that because I have a little bit of discomfort, right? It's a cold day. I get in my car and, you know, my backside's cold. It's a problem. I push this button. And, you know, depending on the model of the car, it might take anywhere from like 30 seconds to three minutes before the problem is gone. It's resolved. And that's about the length of time that I've come to expect God to solve my other problems. You know? Driving down the road, I'm like, oh, good, that that problem's solved. And I cry out, you know, God, why aren't you coming and answering this other prayer of mine? Three minutes in to the prayer, I'm impatient. 
This is a good psalm to memorize. Can you put it up on the screen again, Max? This is a good one just for any of us to memorize. This is really a story, of, a whole story of the Bible. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. This is our testimony of what God has done for us. There might be still someone here wondering, okay, God promises to deliver me out of my affliction because he hears my cry. He asks me to wait patiently. But I just want to know, how is he going to do it? I know where the button is on my car to make that problem go away, but how's God going to pull the levers to make this other problem get fixed? Well, you know, Moses had the exact same question, actually. Moses was very curious how this whole thing was going to work when God sent him to go speak to Pharaoh and deliver his people out of the hands of the Egyptians. Look what Moses' questions were. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Moses is saying, Whose authority, which power, structure are you're going to do all of this with? What name am I going to use when I go into this place? And I love God's answer. God says, I am who I am, Moses. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Jacob wrestling the angel? And the angel gave Jacob a new name. And we talked about how that's speaking authority over his life. And then remember, Jacob wanted to know the angel's name, and the angel didn't give it to him because he couldn't have authority over him. When Moses asks the burning bush voice, who are you? How are you going to do this? God says, I am who I am. It's God's way of declaring that he is the highest authority in the whole universe. I am the one who cannot be named. I am who I am. And there's a mystery in that, just like there's a mystery in the burning bush. There's a mystery in the name of God. So what God is really inviting us to do when we go to him and we say, how are you going to accomplish this? How are you going to come down and deliver out and bring up? God says, I am who I am. I need you to trust me. There's a mystery in it, but I am the highest authority in the whole universe. Do you trust that while you wait? Trust me, God says. You know, there's a... Part of me that kind of wishes I had my own burning bush, like some shrub on the property that I could go talk to, you know. (laughs) But as I think about that, I realize, you know, I have something better than the burning bush. I have something similar to the burning bush. We have the Word of God, and God speaks. And in many ways, this is like the burning bush. You know, it, it inspires It brings light and it brings warmth and it brings truth like a campfire, like a burning bush. And every time we gather around it in our life groups and hear from the pulpit and in our individual quiet times at home, it's like a flame that keeps burning, but the word is never consumed. And God is speaking through this. This is our burning bush, the vessel that keeps burning but is not consumed, that God's voice speaks through. We have something even better than Moses had. 
And this is our guide as we wait, as we trust in the promise of God that he hears our cries, that he knows our afflictions, that he promises to act and asks us to wait and trust him. We can keep hearing from him in our burning bush. So as we walk out the door in a couple of minutes, how do we think about all this? I was wondering that myself as I was preparing for this, and I, I thought that there are really three ways of reading this story. I'll be brief with these. There's really three ways to read this story. The first is to realize this story, it's about me. This story is about me. I'm afflicted. I'm crying. I'm wondering if God hears my prayers, if he sees my affliction. I'm wondering, like the man in La Limonada, if he's going to come down and do something about it. In my instruction, when I think about the story being about me, is that God asks me to trust him. God asks me to wait. And then to watch him fulfill his promises. Another way of reading the story is to realize this story is about someone else. The story is about someone else. That there are people in our world who are being afflicted. There are people in our world who are crying out. And sometimes we're like the people in the Department of Justice, outside the slum, and we have a view, we have awareness of people in our world who are struggling. And God calls us like he called Moses. He sends us to go be that agent of deliverance for those people. I'm so proud of some of the efforts of this church, the missions committee that Laura runs so well, the Partnership to End Human Trafficking, which is an organization that was birthed right out of this church. It's an awareness that the atrocities of enslavement weren't just this long ago and faraway story of the Israelites with the country of Egypt, but it's still happening today in our backyard right here in the Northeast. And so we step in. We realize this story is about someone else and we can be called by God to step in and be those agents of deliverance that God calls us to go be. The story is about us. The story is about someone else. But ultimately, this story is about God. This is God's story. He came down. He delivered us out. And he brings us up. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we long for and celebrate during Advent. That God came down. He didn't stay far away. He didn't stay seated on his throne. He didn't stay in the position that he was in. He came down in the person, this helpless baby, to become one of us, to grow up, to teach us how to live. But then ultimately to deliver us out from under the wrath of the Father by going to the cross and dying in our place. And then rising again to conquer even death itself so that when we realize that, when we realize that that's what he's done for us, when we bring our spiritual selves into participation with his dying and rising again, he brings us into a new place of being where we are citizens in his kingdom, obeying him, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And living in this new life, it's better than a land flowing with milk and honey because we have the constant provision of the Holy Spirit. He comes down. He delivers out. He brings up. 
Some of us need to hear the message this morning that we need to wait patiently upon him. Some of us need to just hear the message that God sees and God knows. You're not alone. Some of us need to respond to the call like Moses did of stepping in to be that agent of deliverance for others. But all of us, especially as we look through this narrative over the next several weeks, need to realize this story is about God. Let's watch God as he continues to do his work in our midst. Amen. Amen.